Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Hello! From the Next Reels Film Board, this is Tommy Hansom with an important announcement. The following podcast includes movie audio clips that contain unbleeped profanity. Such profanity may include Damn, Hell, Nuts, Butterf, <laughs> McGee, Doodle, <laughs> Captain Fuck, <laughs> and Toot Toot, Here Comes the Diarrhea Parade. Listening discretion is advised. 
streaming services are on the rise, and brick-and-mortar video stores are a thing of the past. We have lost that experience of wandering the aisles and stumbling upon a film we've never heard of. We have replaced the familiar face behind the video store counter with an algorithm to recommend films. With more and more content available, it's harder to know what's worth watching and what might be a waste of your time. There are many hidden gems out there waiting to be discovered, and we want to help you find them. This is Trailer Rewind, a podcast where we discuss and review recently forgotten or overlooked films that are now available to stream at home. Trailer Rewind listeners, it's time to pull back the curtain on Trailer Rewind. Today, I am bringing our behind-the-scenes guy up front. This year, Ray Delancey has been editing our episodes to make us sound coherent, and today he's going to be in front of the mic to talk with me about The Lodge. So, how would you feel about going to the mountains for Christmas with Grace? She really wants to get to know you guys. That's our mom's hat. Oh, I'm sorry. I... You okay? I don't want to leave you here with the kids if you're not feeling up to it. Uh, I'm feeling fine. It was my idea, and it's a couple days. I can do a couple days. Okay, guys, I'm off. Have fun. What is that? It's crazy. Everyone committed suicide except her. Repent, and you will find salvation. This was Andy's pick from November 9th, 2019. Andy was very excited about it because it looked creepy in all the best ways. I had forgotten that this was a trailer that he and I saw together in the theater when we went and saw Parasite in Ooh. the theaters. So we had we experienced this trailer together, and then he decided to bring it to the sat mat. Uh, Pete and I joked that this, <laughs> based on the trailer, this movie could have been called Midwinter. <laughs> um, and I think we'll we'll get into that a little bit, uh, but we all agreed that it, it looked really spooky. Uh, today is September 19th, and The Lodge is available on Hulu. So doing a little digging into the release on this, it opened small, six screens on February 7th, 2020. Who was to know what was just merely a month away from that? But it, it, it took the typical uh, slowly growing because by the following week on Valentine's Day, it was on 21 screens, and then it made a big jump to 322 screens the following week. And it had another big week at the beginning or at the end of February up to 395. So this was tracking like, oh, it's, it's growing, it's growing. And then beginning of March, down to 96 screens, and then 19 screens, <laughs> and then gone by March 16th. So it basically spent six weeks in the theater. But because this is 2020 and strange things happened, it did return on eight screens for three days in July, July 10th, 11th, and 12th. I think they felt like <laughs> that may random. have been that may have been like drive-in movies or something like that where people thought, oh, you know, we'll, we'll show a spooky movie at the, at the drive-in. I know, but it had a really low box office, only 2.1 million domestically with a worldwide oh, take of just over 3 million. So what they did with this one is uh, they quickly got this, you know, on Blu-ray, digital, and Hulu, all right there, right on May 5th, 2020. So in theaters in February, available, you know, digitally and on, on disc by May. So that, that's a typical, what we see with some of these smaller films that, you know, 
I, I don't know if this movie needed to be in the theaters. Um, I, I guess there's always that, you know, it's, it's a darkened place that makes it a little bit creepier, sure. I, I, you know, but, uh, you know, th- this is a, it's an interesting film, you know, genre. And as we, you know, Pete and I joked about it being called Midwinter, there's, <laughs> you know, it, I, I think that's the thing of on, on, you know, film board and we've, we've done other horror movies we've talked about. There's this, you know, potential resurgence in the horror genre of, of exploring different dimensions of this. And there's, there's some that, that do that really well. I think, uh, happy death day to you. We all really enjoyed over on the film board of taking mm. the tropes of the genre and, and going in new directions. Um, this one, you know, I don't know, Ray, who do you feel this, this film is, is for? And, and we, I, I will say, let's not get into spoilers into the end, you know, at, at the end we can get into that in the later part of the discussion. So let's try to stay a little spoiler free on this so we don't ruin it. But what would you say like your expectations were going into the lodge? So my expectations going into it, I'm not, were actually kind of weird. I had no expectations because I saw this in the theater, but it was one of those situations where I hadn't even seen the trailer, hadn't even heard about this movie. I just saw it was playing and decided to go see it. Wait, so so you're you're telling me you'll just be walk you'll walk into the movie theater and be like, what's showing at this time? Haven't heard of that. I'm gonna go check that out. Yes. That's awesome. I love that because you know how I am about trailers. Like I, I don't like the experience of trailers ruining the experience. So you'll you'll just show up, pick a movie and go. That's great. I actually did that with Inception. <laughs> oh <laughs> Wow. Okay. But um, after having seen the movie, though, it <laughs> I totally see where you and Pete make that joke because it feels like the kind of movie that the Ari Aster crowd would like. Well, there, there's, there's several, you know, sequences throughout where we have one of the kids has a a dollhouse, you know, and so there's lots of scenes where we'll see things that are set up in the dollhouse, which right you know, resembles the lodge, you know, the titular lodge of the of film. So, and it looks like that comes from hereditary, right? Exactly. We see, you know, with hereditary, with all of uh, the little, you know, miniature houses and all that. Yeah. Other than it making me feel that and then expecting, like I wanted to see, you know, hereditary, something like hereditary. I, I, I don't know the, the timing on this film and that idea, if they were trying to play that up or not, but it's a challenge when you set yourself up, by a, a comparison or referencing another film that has been so successful that inevitably people will use that as a measuring stick to say, oh, well, how does this hold up compared to Hereditary? Right. And it, it's it's not going to. I, th- I think there's, you know, that one has cemented itself as sort of a, a classic. Yeah. Um, and so I think that was a, a bold choice if they tried to do that. And it's one that wasn't going to do them any favors. Sure. Yeah. I thought it was interesting to see the Hammer logo at the beginning of the movie. Oh, <laughs> Because yes. I think of Hammer, and I think of like Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. And yes. Oh, the, the 60s. Yeah. And this, I mean, not that I'm like a Hammer connoisseur, but this really didn't remind me of anything Hammer. No. <laughs> Again, so setting expectations for something that they're not not quite delivering on. So as you walked into this blind and experienced this, what did you get a sense of what you know, who would you say this film is for based on, you know, the general beginning and m- middle of the film, what it's trying to be? What, what what would you say? You mean like age group or? Well, just, you know, other films that people might, you know, if they liked that type of film, this is something that, you know, 
might appeal to them. In all honesty, uh, I'm sticking with Hereditary. Maybe okay, like yeah. Jordan Peele's Us. Okay. Maybe okay, not yeah. so much Get Out. It felt more along the lines of Us to where it was uh, more unexpected, if that makes yes. any sense. Oh, yeah. And we've got sort of the family in, in isolation right. aspect of that. Yeah. It, it's it's one that, um, again, it, without getting into the spoilers, it's, it sets up, you know, we're in an isolated place. We've got some mysterious events going on possibly supernatural things going on and, I th- and that's all things that are that are there in the in the trailer and setting it in a in a snowstorm creating that other sense of isolation uh, yeah very much like a, a you know hereditary where you've got the family dynamics confined in a house well and that being said about the isolation in a snowstorm some aspects of it do have a touch of feeling like the shine oh yes that the, very much that here we are naming these movies like Hereditary, The Shining, and I will I will say right up front, it, it this doesn't get quite to those those levels. No, I would, no, I, I, it's little bits and pieces. Yes, I think it's it's uh, a film that is working in comfortable territory to a certain extent, and isn't going to quite get there. And I think that's one of the challenges of this: of what does it do new? And I, you know, when we talk about the end later we can talk about some of the shifts that happen but the vast majority of this film is treading familiar turf and not doing anything altogether original or anything that overly impressed me now this is not a genre i spend a lot of a lot of time in sure but you've spent a little bit more time in sort of the the horror genre right mm-hmm. oh, yeah. yeah and so would you say it it stuck with the familiar tropes or did it, did you see it, it do anything or do you feel that it was more of a for lack of a better term, copying some some familiar ideas. Yeah, I mean, I hate to say this, but it's not particularly memorable. Okay, yeah. I, without spoiling, the first eight minutes of this movie I thought were particularly good. But after that, not that it's bad, but it's just, it doesn't seem to try much that hasn't been done before. Yeah, I, I would agree with you on that. It, it had a very strong opening and i think that that set a bar that the rest of it just didn't live up to right because it did some really things some things really well at the beginning and i don't know that it was reaching for anything i feel like it 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 settled for well we're just going to do these things and i think maybe they were counting on the 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 twist at the end to try to be the strength of the film and for me i don't know that that was uh that that carried through so we've got a, a horror film, a sort of thriller suspense thing. You know, people that are interested in that genre probably may have already seen this. If it's if it's not a genre that you, you tread in, I would say it's not as spooky and creepy as I think the trailer leads it to be. Because sure. I think I think a lot of the suspense and creepy moments are there in the trailer, whereas you spend a lot of time with these characters and there's strange things going on, but it's there, there are some films like, like, like a hereditary where I just, I get uncomfortable in my skin watching the movie. Cause I'm just oh, like, yeah. this is, this is really particularly dark supernatural stuff just really creeps me out. And this never got to that point where I'm like, no. Ooh, this is like darkly sinister stuff. This just felt like there's, you know, these people in this lodge and there's some odd things going on, but I, I didn't have that sense of dread. <laughs> Of like <laughs> evil, you know, lurking in the corners of my house. So if, if 
if you are not a fan of horror films, this might be one to to ease your way in. Uh, back when we recorded the the Sat Mat in November, Pete was just starting to venture into his his fascination with with horror, and I think this is one that for somebody like that might be a good entry point. Also, because some of the familiar tropes uh, and things might be new to you and fresh to you. So I'd say if mm. if you're new to the genre, you you might find this one enjoyable. But Ray, overall in terms of rating and ranking your movie uh, movies, where where'd the lodge fall fall for you? So on my flick chart, it fell on my most recent viewing, it fell at 333 out of 1311, which is 75%. It mm, did Okay climb a little bit because i did appreciate it a little bit more the second time around so it getting a 75 percent on my flick chart it suggested uh, a letterboxed star rating of three and a half and i thought that i was comfortable with that so uh, oh, really? i rated okay. it three and a half stars three and a half. okay so for me it came in at 316 out of 637 so it's right right there in the the middle and again because this is a genre that's not one of my favorites um, there are some things that I did appreciate, and I think that put it up a little higher. I put it right at three stars. Um, I have some issues with it. There are things that I really like about it, and this is one where I feel like maybe in our conversation, you might be able to get me to that 3.5 at the end of this, depending on, <laughs> on <laughs> how, how the conversation goes on some of these things. Because I, I, Oh, the pressure's on now. Yeah, exactly. I felt like there are some things that worked really well, but sort of globally looking at this, The Lodge has a weighted average review on Letterboxd of 3.15 based on 33,684. Uh, on IMDb, it's right there at that six-star six ranking uh, based on about 25,500 votes. So it's Just it's made. right there in the middle. You know, I think very middling. And I think that's probably feels right for me. It's, it's a film that doesn't do anything great but it's it's not a disaster uh so listeners if you think that this is your kind of film and you don't want anything spoiled this is your chance to pause the podcast and go check out the lodge on hulu so you're either sticking with us or you've gone and watched the lodge and now we can get into this and we can also get into spoilers but as we talked about at the front end the first eight minutes so great Tell me what it is about the opening. You know, you seem to really enjoy the first eight minutes of this film. So tell me what's so strong about that. What worked so well for you? Steve, they could have taken the first eight minutes of this movie and just made it a short film. And I would have given it five stars. Okay. Seriously. What about it deserves those five stars? So particularly I'm looking at Alicia Silverstone's performance because she plays the mother of the two children who star in this film. Uh, her name is Laura Hall, I believe. Yes, Laura Hall. And she's in the middle of a divorce with her husband, played by Richard Armitage. And she doesn't even really have that many lines in her eight minutes of film. <laughs> but in her face and in her movements and just the way that she executes her actions, like putting on makeup and curling her eyelashes, everything is done with such a subtle desperation and you really feel pity for this person. Like you feel like she is going through something that is really just hollowing out the depths of her soul in this divorce. And you know, without her even having to say it, that she needs to reconcile with her husband. She needs it because she is not taking this whole thing well. 
And then out of nowhere, after she meets with her husband, her husband says, look, we got to finalize this. Uh, I'm going to get married to Grace, this other woman. Alicia Silverstone is sitting alone at home, reaches for her purse. Her purse is, you can't even see her purse. It's obscured by the table that she's sitting at. And then real quickly, she pulls a gun out and shoots herself in the head eight minutes in. Yes. It's a slow shot that's just slowly pushing in on her as she's sitting there at the table. Because you get the emotional, you know, she's gotten this news. She's she's wrestling with that. And I was watching this with my, my youngest daughter at the time. And when she pulls the trigger, you know, puts the gun in her mouth and the back of her head, you know, just all over the wall. My daughter just like jumped out of her chair. Right? She's like, yeah, it just, cause it, it's so quiet and it just, it comes out of nowhere and it's so strong, so powerful because there's, there's so much, it's, it's, you think this film is about her from the beginning. You're getting the sense because we, we, we start with her and it's the conversation with the kids and it's so much about her. And then, so, you know, she's out of the picture now, which for me, I think sets up an interesting setup with the kids of, I mean, your mom's Alicia Silverstone and just in her performance, there's this caring mother, the connection with her kids. It's going to be this specter that sort of haunts the rest of the film because as Grace comes in as as the other woman, you've got the ex-wife has committed suicide. So it's not just that the kids are upset that, you know, parents are divorced and dad's remarried. It's dad remarried you and mom killed herself. So now there's that to deal with. That's going to sort of haunt the remainder of this film of the kids, not only being angry about the divorce, but now their mother is gone and they can only blame. Well, do they blame their dad or do they blame grace? And that's, that's where we're going to get going with sort of the, the story as things move along is we then our our introduction to Grace is very interesting because we don't see her. Right. Like she's sort it's through like frosted glass with, you know, the kids are there and, and Grace wants to come in to, to talk with the kids and dad's like, no. And then that's where the, we get a scene of the, the kids discovering sort of, well, I guess it's, they know a little bit about Grace because we get one line at at Thanksgiving where the you know the son who's played uh, by Jaden Martell, uh, Aiden says you know well Dad didn't you meet her because you were you know she was in your book you were writing a book about her and so it's like well what is that and there's you know Dad's a psychologist so okay who's this Grace character then we get the scene where Jaden and his sister are on the computer. Uh, so Aiden and Mia on the computer researching Grace and finding out she was part of this cult that basically committed mass suicide. And the, the, there's video footage that they find online or it's on dad's computer. And it's, it's very reminiscent of uh, the cult from the, I can't remember the, uh, the Heaven's Gate Heaven's cult. Gate, yeah. Yes, because you, you see them all with the, the fabric over them and the tennis shoes and, and all of that. And, you know, it's, which to me, that's some of the creepiest footage oh, yeah. in this this film because it's it's old school like video footage of going down into this room and seeing this, and then the reveal is that Grace is the one that that filmed this because apparently it's her role to continue 
the carrying the message forward of that right, of that right. group out into the world. So Grace is coming out of a really odd situation. To say the least. To, right, exactly. So the interesting dynamic that it set up for me, though, is the other piece, I guess that's crucial, is that her father is the one that's the head of the religious cult. Yes. So so we've got this, this dynamic of she has lost her father. We've got these two kids that have lost their mother. So you think, oh, well, clearly they're going to, you know, they, they both have lost, they've all lost parents, right? They're going to be able to connect with each other. Oh, heck no, because <laughs> Grace is the reason their mother is dead, right? So there's this great animosity between the kids and Grace. And it sets up, I think, Grace as an, a suspicious character. Sure, yeah. Has she come to terms, you know, what What are the consequences of growing up in that type of environment? Uh, whether it's being brainwashed or, you know, abused or whatever we may call it, that sets up Grace as a, a suspect character. And here's another thing. The film never really specifies, but I found myself wondering, is Grace the reason for their divorce was Richard yes. having an affair or did he meet her after the fact? We don't know. No, we, we don't know. We know that they, that he met, you know, they at least met through work, but we don't know the, the timeline of the divorce, but clearly, you know, it's also the dynamic of she's younger. So, yeah. uh, you know, Grace played by Riley Keogh, younger than Alicia Silverstone. So it's, it's got, it's, it's the stereotype of like, Oh, Guy meets younger, attractive woman through work thing and leaves his wife for her. So, you know, that's it's typical, right? It, leaving your wife for a, you know, former cult member, maybe not so typical. <laughs> and speaking of Riley Keogh, did you know that the guy that played her father in the movie is her father in real life. Oh, really? Yeah. No, I didn't. I did not know that. Yeah. Oh, it's okay. There. Yes, I'm looking at that in the the credits right now. Okay. Interesting. I did not know that. I did not do my research on this. Um, yes. There we are. Very interesting. So we finally, you know, Dad Richard decides the. What's going to be the best thing? Let's take everybody up to the lodge for Christmas. We're going to spend time in isolation, away from everybody. Uh, we'll, you know, we'll spend time together. This will be the the thing that everybody needs to to get together. So, of course, Dad gets there, and then quickly he has to he has to leave. He's got a work thing. He's got to go back, but he's going to be gone for a couple of days, and then he'll be back. So it's, you know, uh, Grace, it'll be a great time for you and the kids and bonding and all that stuff, getting everything ready for Christmas, right? So we get the, the first days <laughs> at the lodge, right? So so Richard, Richard leaves, and I'm thinking, okay, they're in the middle of nowhere, but the kids, it's familiar turf for the kids because he says, well, if anything happens, you know, the kids know the people at whatever, the convenience store or whatever, right. and so if, you know, so it's not like they're completely isolated at the you know, the family comes there regularly, so the kids know no things up there, right? I want to know why he thought this would be a good idea. They hate her. It's obvious <laughs> they hate yes. her. And he's like, well, I'm going to leave my new girlfriend, my fiance, right. alone in this house with them. Right. Not only that, but he's familiar with this area that this house, yeah. this lodge is in. He doesn't think there's going to be any problems getting back to this lodge. <laughs> You know, one one snowstorm, and you know that's it. The roads are closed, and he's you know. But you know, there, there's you know, it's 2019 or whatever, right? You've got cell phones, and you know, there's other ways. You know, nothing's totally isolated, right? Sure. What what could go wrong, <laughs> right? So it's you know, we've got a very icy environment 
externally and internally because the you know the, sure they're setting up for Christmas and all that, but basically the kids have like secluded themselves in one part of the house in one room, and you know Grace is sort of left to her own devices, you know, roaming the house. We get a lot of quiet shots around the house of things. We've got hmm. we've got Grace's dog is. is set up in a dog bed there's you know one night and dog hears something there there appears to be something on the stairs we don't know what it was a quick shadow something but is there somebody in the house is there something in the house we don't know it's setting up all this sort of the the creep factor right of right, that so right. something's something's going to happen and that's where we 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 get I don't know, Aiden is you know teenager. I didn't know how to take the scene where Grace is showering and then she sees that Aiden's watching her yeah. and like that just like who's the creep in this one now? <laughs> what <laughs> what's going on here? This is okay. Is that typical teenage boy behavior? Maybe I don't know, but it it seemed a little like you know, and it, I think it unsettled Grace quite yeah. a bit of like I've got this pervy teenage boy that is going to be my stepson, you know, right. uh, you know yeah, all of that. So we get to a scene where that has happened. It's clear the kids don't want to be interacting with Grace and she wants to do what she's supposed to do. She wants to connect with these kids. She wants to get past everything and she reaches out to Aiden and this is a scene that starts with her in, in the kitchen making sandwiches and she she offers, you know, to make Aiden a sandwich. He said, no, I, I can do that on my own. And they have, you know, she confronts him basically about this. I think we need to have a conversation, Aiden. I just feel like things are very uncomfortable between us and I, I just wanted to know if there's something I can do to make, make that better or what, what your problem is. Hormones. Okay, I feel like there's something you're not saying to me or I just want you to know that I, I'm here if you want to talk to me about anything. Why would I talk to you? Because we're stuck in a house together. I didn't. I didn't mean stuck. I meant I'm. We're in a house together. I want to be in that. I mean. I didn't mean. I didn't mean that. I just meant. It would be a lot better, I think, for both of us if we could talk. I don't want to talk to you. You don't want to talk to me. Okay. You don't want to talk to me. You just want to watch me in the shower. You don't have anything to say to me. I just wanted to try and make things better. And for me, this scene is, so I, I watched the film and then I went through it, you know, looking at scenes again. And in this one, I, it really feels like Grace is making this earnest effort yes. to connect with Aiden. And so for me at this point, she's become the more sympathetic character. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, at, at this point, because Aiden's playing like, you know, indifferent teenager with an attitude and all of that. And the way it's shot is the cinematography, there's there's some things that are, are done really well. There's a lot of like odd close-ups on Grace of rather than just shooting her straight on, we're slightly above her right. in the kitchen. We put some weird angles on her. Um that just make it a little bit more interesting to look at. And it, it almost, and it, whether it's we're observing her, putting her in a different place. But for me, this scene is is crucial because of what happens next, because this is her, her reaching out. And then what we get 
right after that is, you know, she's trying to make amends. Then the very next scene, they're watching the thing, which again, if you're <laughs> if you're gonna be a, doing a horror, you know, thriller, <laughs> don't pick a classic like the thing to put in there because everybody's like, that's such a great movie. Why am I not watching that movie instead of this movie, right? And you know what? Uh, I don't think you can trust Grace after this scene because she turns off the thing. And puts in Jack Frost with Michael <laughs> Keaton, which is a you know more typical Christmas movie, I guess. I don't know, but, but uh, at, at this point, you know, Aiden brings her hot chocolate, and it's okay. Has he had time to think about what Grace is trying to do, and has he realized, okay, we're going to have to deal with each other, you know, as as Grace sort of you know misspoke in the kitchen of like we're stuck with each other, but. You know, he reaches out. It seems, you know, he's got, he gives her some hot coffee uh, or hot, hot chocolate. And then um, Mia is cold. So he brings in like the gas heater, which puts Grace at unease because she's not, this isn't her turf. She doesn't come to the the lodge. You know, this is not her lifestyle. She's grown up in a very different uh, type of lifestyle. So her concerns are, is, is that safe, right? I'm having, you know, with this gas and all that. And Aiden assures her, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. Um, and then for me, this is the big pivot that happens in the movie because Grace, you know, they fall asleep watching the movie. And then when she wakes up, things are different. And I guess the, the piece we haven't talked about is we see that Grace is on medication. We don't know what medication or for what for. She's having trouble sleeping. She's had some unusual dreams. And that may be either part of the meds or just, you know, her own mental, mental state. So when she wakes up the next day, for me, the question is, you know, do we have unreliable narrator now? Has, has Grace started, is, is this another dream? Because it one because I think she wakes up, or in, in her dream, she's like out on the lake, right? Yeah, she's yeah. like lying on the frozen lake. Right, exactly. And it's, is that a dream? Is that real? They wake up, she wakes up, you know, she, I guess, falls back asleep. She wakes up in the house. Anyway, we're now at a point where all the Christmas decorations are gone. Everything is like started to disappear out of the house. There's no food in the all refrigerator. All the food is gone. All right. of their personal belongings, their coats are gone. Right. The power is out. Her meds are gone. What is going on? And this is where we get into the what's, you know, sort of supernatural things are going going on in the house. Nobody seems to understand what's going on, what has happened, who did it. Uh, I think it's set up set us up as viewers to think because we've seen grace like maybe sleepwalking tonight is this something that she has done because she's this questionable you know has this questionable background with some mental health issues is it something that she's done in her sleep is it something that she has consciously done because the again there's this animosity between her and the kids sort of i guess epitomized by mia's doll which i think is like a it's a barbie or something but with blonde hair but clearly sort of is a stand-in for for right. mom right and i think that that doll is definitely a representation of her mom and you know you see mia's attachment to it it very clearly parallels the attachment that she had with her mom if you remember the scene where uh, they had laura's funeral and yes. she tried to attach the doll to the balloon oh yes and yes send it up with the rest of them and then you know obviously one balloon is not going to carry off a doll <laughs> And right. So Mia gets upset, like really upset, and rips the balloon string and off of the doll and sends it back up. I had forgotten about it. It's almost like here I want to I want to send my my mom with the balloons up to heaven and 
she's not going to. She's she's stuck here on Earth. And I guess that's the other piece that I guess we, we should probably briefly discuss is a lot of the like religious iconography around the the, the lodge. You know, sure, Richard yeah. says that that's that's his ex wife stuff. Who was you know religious? We've got a, you know crucifix. We've got weird uh, painting of Mary. Mary. Um, yeah. So there's there's all these things. So we have. Yeah, I guess we've got that other opposition of Grace growing up in the cult and then being confronted <laughs> with like traditional like Catholic iconography and and what does that do for her? Is it bringing up memories? Is it, you know, counter to her belief system, all of that? Is it just more reminders of the woman she's replacing? I mean, all of these things add to that I guess that the creepiness factor to it. Um, I mean, nothing overtly sinister, but clearly Grace is on edge because of all of these things. Um, the kids are upset, and it's a it's a it's a weird environment, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> this is a this is a weird lodge. And doesn't Mia have like a little shrine or something that she's yeah, got? It's so weird. It's like I don't even know what you'd call that area. It's like right. a little nook or something mm-hmm. that's in the. Is it was it in the bedroom or the the attic? I can't remember. It's well, and again, that's one of the things that's that's challenging with this film is the geography of the house is, is right. challenging. But, we don't get a good sense of where we always are because there's an attic, but yeah, there's the kids' room and it's maybe a nook off the kids' room. Right, but either, yeah. either way, regardless of where yeah. it was, it's like this little shelf on the wall, yeah. and that's it's that's all that's around there. It's like by itself. It's very uh, it stands out. And it's got a crucifix on it. It's got these candles. And then she puts her doll on it. Yes. Yes. It's like it's almost some kind of, like you said, a shrine or some kind of, uh, uh, what do you call it whenever you lay out your dead? Oh, yeah. (laughs) I I don't know what it's supposed to be, but it's very weird. It's very weird. And it's, you know, it's it's things like that that I started wondering, like, I don't have an explanation for for why the kids are, are doing this. It seems odd. It seems unsettling. Is the movie just trying to be weird to be weird? Is it trying to be creepy just to be creepy? You know, what? why Why are these things happening? And then that's where I always come back to, is this Grace's mental state? Is that what we're supposed to be getting? Is, you know, her, she's feeling, you know, unsettled. And so things that might seem normal seem odd. And I thought, no, no, no. Shelf, doll on a shelf with candles and crucifix is odd in anybody's mind. It's right? not her, but, you know, the picture, the you know, the, pa- port, the painting of Mary, yeah, that's a little odd. And she takes that down. She takes the crucifix down at a later point. And I'm like, okay, those are things that remind you of, you know, Richard's ex-wife and that's fine. But yeah, things are things have shifted into into the weird, and so now there's no power, there's there's no food, their cell phones have died because they were on the chargers, the power went out, so nobody has a, a working phone, so they can't even contact Richard to say, hey, we're you know the power's out, can you send help? They're they're off on their own. So, and that's one thing. If I can interject real quick, yeah, you know, you made mention earlier whenever Dad left, Richard left that. They the kids have been there before. There's a general store not too far yeah. away that they can go to if they need help. I wondered why didn't they ever try to go there? I don't know how far it is. Yeah, that's one of the things because they they don't have a vehicle, right? right. I mean, Richard took the car, so well, and that's where this is this is the cha- challenging decision that the Grace makes. You know, exacerbated by the lack of her medication, her mental state is starting to degrade um and it's whether you know she can't sleep as well odd dreams all that um 
the clock has the time has shifted to like January 9th and she you know she resets the clock back to the day that it should be and she confronts the kids about this you know who changed the clock all of that you know and again the question is is she doing it is something else more supernatural doing it what's going on so grace finally gets to the point where she is going to make the walk to town i guess she's you know, given right. the fact that she's new to the area, but of course you can't send, you know, the kids because, you know, what are you going to tell Richard? Well, the power's out. So I sent the kids off into the woods by themselves. Now that's not going to, you know, she's the responsible adult. She's going to do this. And so she takes this, this journey out into the, the snow, which is very chilling, you know, and, and, oh, yeah. and, and isolate, isolates her. Um, you know, again, she's whether she's having hallucinations because she's hearing the voice of her father about repenting, you know, and is it this guilt that she's feeling about the fact that, you know, Richard has decided to marry her? Is that responsible for the death of his wife? You know, is, is this guilt that she's carrying? The kids don't like her. I mean, there's a lot of things working against her. And now, you know, he- hearing her father's voice about repenting. And then I think that's, you know, she comes, as she's out in the, out on the walk, she comes across some type of building and looks like she's real thinks weird she, looking. Yeah. And she thinks she sees somebody in there. And I'm assuming she thinks it's like the you know, ghost or image of her father. Mm. Um, but it's dang cold out there. Yeah. <laughs> And that's another thing about the cold. It's really hard to get across in a movie and on a visual medium, just how cold it is. And I really loved the visual of her pulling the water bottle out of her bag and it's completely solid ice. Yes. It it really reinforced that. It's not just like, oh, it's a little bit chilly. You can see your breath. It's, it's cold enough that it's, it's frozen the water bottle. She's out there. So She gets disoriented, gets turned around, and basically walks in a big circle. So she doesn't get to town. She ends up back at the lodge. She's been out in the in the cold forever. And as she as she walks up to the house, she sees something in the snow, and she you know is trying to brush away the snow. And it looks like it's some flowers, and then like a picture in the picture frame. I don't know what any of this is. Again, what's what's going on? Uh, We should probably also mention that. Her dog has disappeared. The dog is gone. We don't know what has happened with the dog. So when they woke up and everything else disappeared, the dog also disappeared. So now we've got all these weird things. She's tried to get to town but can't get there, whether, you know, disoriented or other supernatural circumstances possibly. Um, She finds this picture, and that's where we get to, I think, the other critical point in the story where the characters are sort of going to confront what their situation is. And this is... uh, Aiden has found the photo that she found out in the snow and and brings it in and confronts Grace about the photo. Grace? What is this? I don't know, Aiden. We're stuck here and we don't know what's going on and, and, and this picture, what does it mean? I don't know what that photo means, Aiden. What if we died? We didn't die. How do you know? If we had died, how would we know? Because it makes no sense. Because I'm sitting here talking to you and because my feet are cold and I'm hungry. Maybe that's what it's like. We wouldn't know if we died. 
and for me, this is where the movie hit hit its other gear of this idea that they died. Yeah, it, it reminded me of uh, what's the uh, Nicole Kidman one, the the others, right? Where yes, we're, yes, yes. You know, it reminded me of that. And then again, I thought, oh, you're <laughs> you're gonna do this where which. I remember being a really good movie and now I'm like, okay, now we're doing that thing from this other movie. And I'm like, you're not quite as good as that, but I don't know if that's where you're going with this. Right. But now we're, we're confronted with the fact that it's possibly that they, they are dead. So what does that mean? The kids have found uh, you know, there's another document that they find that, you know, a news, news clipping, news article that they, yeah, they like, died. Uh, the local newsletter. Right, that they died from, you know, what was it, like carbon monoxide poisoning or something, allegedly, I think we're led to assume from the gas. Yeah, yeah, it was from the gas, which goes back to Aiden saying he had a dream. Right, oh, yes. In the first clip. Yes, yes. That he had a dream that they all suffocated to That's death. right. So now it's the question of, are they dead? Aiden's convinced that they're dead, and he's going to prove that to her. He runs off. Um, Grace is upset. She doesn't know what's going on. And this is where, you know, then Mia starts screaming. And then there is Aiden who has hung himself from, <laughs> from you know, up there. And the light fixture in the, the attic. The light fixture in the attic. And this is where, like, Grace, I think, ju- this is where she, like, snaps. Right? This right. is where yes, things, definitely. she is, you know, if, if they're dead, what does that mean? I think it's bringing back everything that, you know, from her history of the way she was raised, you know, is, has she died? You know, is this what death is supposed to be like? All of these things. I'm thinking this is really interesting. You know, where, where are we going with this? And then the big twist happens because Grace has really snapped. And then the big reveal is the kids have been gaslighting her this whole time, which... Wow. Which blew my mind. And I thought, for me, that works amazingly well. These kids are the worst children ever. Right? right? <laughs> yes. And you know what? I am so glad that you chose these two particular clips to to show for this mm-hmm. show. Show for this show. All right. But uh, because it really shows not just how empathetic a character Grace is, but also how contemptible Aiden is. Yes. When you look back at that first clip okay, that we played, Aiden, what is his response to being called out for peeping at her? Any normal kid, at least I yeah. would imagine, would like turn red in the face, right. get really embarrassed. He acts, like you said, completely indifferent. Like he doesn't care about her. Right. He has no respect for her. He couldn't care less. And that says volumes yes. about how he views her as a person, which, to be honest, he doesn't really view her as a person. Right. It's as going back, and you know, as as you've seen it a second time, you can this this is one that works really well. Where the things that I had questioned earlier, now I see them in a different light. So the kids always secluding themselves. Clearly, that's when they're planning. You know, this this whole thing, right. everything that they're going to do, and all the things that are creepy and odd are things they've been doing. You know, yes, would would Mia normally have set up a little shrine? No, but if we can do some creepy thing, I mean, how do we, you know playing into the occult aspect of things? Knowing Grace's background with the religious cult, we see the CD player or whatever speaker that they've set up in the attic with the recording of her father, you know, from the video that they watched of Repent and all this. So it's she hasn't been having auditory hallucinations. The kids have actually been, you know, gaslighting her with all these things. And 
going back to the scene where he gives her the hot chocolate, you know, and then Mia says she's cold and Aiden looks at her and says, do you want me to get the gas heater? Sort of checking with Mia of, are you, you're, you're, you're on board with this. We're going through with this. And then Mia says, yes. And it's like, okay, I'm going to go get the gas heater. And that is initiating everything because that's when that night, you know, clearly he's drugged her hot chocolate to knock her out so they can do all of this. So that was sort of the, we're past the point of no return. Once I go get this gas heater, we're, we're executing the plan. And, you know, we find out that Grady, the dog, got out on an accident. Um, You know, Grace found him out there frozen to death. You know, Mia feels horrible about that, that during what, you know, whenever they were relocating stuff or whatever, Grady got out. And that's why he was gone. It wasn't part of the plan. But, you know, Mm. so she's got this guilt about it. So now, now that the gaslighting gets revealed, but Grace is, Grace is gone. She has snapped at this point. Oh, and this is where boy. this yeah. is where it became the next phase of this movie of Grace has snapped and has reverted back to basically where she was with with you know her her family cult. And it is incredibly unsettling. Yes. So I mean there's you know Richard finally gets there. Richard gets shot, which I love the setup for that. It's, you know, these are some of the strengths of this because we've got, before Richard leaves, he takes Grace out, practice shooting, you know, just in case they have to defend themselves, you know, just precautions, whatever. She's, she's a crack shot. So clearly she knows how to handle a weapon and it's, it's in the context of, okay, is she an appropriate protector of the children? We get that information. When Richard comes back after Grace has snapped, it's, oh no, Grace has a gun. We know she's a good shot. This is not going to go well. <laughs> so she she shoots Richard. And then, I mean, the final scene of them at the, t- at the dinner table, and then it ca- it's the callback to the video of sort of the ritual mass suicide because they've got the duct tape over the mouth with sin written on yeah. it and there's the kids are strapped there at the table we don't see what happens but we've got a pretty good idea of where things are going to go from there with with grace because she is off the deep end off of her meds the kids have pushed her into a state of you know mental breakdown um all the audio stuff from her father has just brought all of this stuff back and she's reverted back to who she was prior um and i those final moments i'm thinking see kids got what you deserve didn't you you go mess around with somebody that's mentally (laughs) fragile and this is what's gonna happen i mean that's it's not the film that i was expecting in some ways, it's a lot better than that because it's it's not a supernatural horror film. It's it's a no. a film about how we deal more of a psychological. Yes, thriller. it's it's how we how we cope with trauma and grief because the kids are grieving and their their reaction is to lash out and unfortunately they lash out against somebody that's that's I would say mentally fragile and they push her and they get you know they get the. <laughs> You reap what you sow, right? But it's it's really about the you know the dangers of how you know if we don't respect each other, if we don't know how to grieve, if we don't know how to communicate and be human with each other, um, de- you know, deadly things happen if we don't treat each other Definitely. you know respectfully as human. 
it's why I picked that scene with the kitchen of Grace is making that effort to reach out. She knows she's not in a winning position. You know, she makes, you know, she says, you know, we're stuck here. And then she tries to backpedal off of that. And it's, it's clear that she's just as uncomfortable as the kids are, but she's reaching out to them, but the kids don't. And that's, you know, such a powerful statement of if we don't teach kids how to handle their grief appropriately rather than, yes, it's, it's horrible. I guess we could always blame Richard of like, you idiot. Why did you leave them all in the, in the, in the lodge together? That is the worst decision to make (laughs) being a psychologist or, or whatever he is. He should have, you know, had some clues, but for me, it's, it's a film that's in a genre that I enjoy more than if it had been just the, Oh, grace is sort of some weird, you know, supernatural conduit for some evil cult or whatever it is bringing, you know, supernatural forces into the world to punish the children. That doesn't interest me as much as this, because it's really about, you know, us as human beings and and the evils that we're capable of. And, and, you know, how, even the most simple things of, you know, oh, we're just going to play pranks on her uh, can go terribly, terribly wrong. Yeah. And I think that's one of the big takeaways from this movie is how terrible it is to be cruel to people. Because, I I mean, it's one of those things you hear all the time. You don't know what that person's been through, but it's the truth. I mean, you look at Grace, she grew up being indoctrinated by this cult and it really didn't help matters that her dad was the leader. I mean, people that come out of religious backgrounds and leave Mm -hmm. them tend to have a really hard time connecting with people because they're so used to what they were taught, especially uh, more gung ho, I guess you could say uh, that teach, you know, everybody is evil and they need to come to the light or whatever. Right. Yeah, no, exactly. It's, you know, when, when you're, when that belief system is based on being in opposition to the world. So you've already felt isolated yes. uh, because it's Thank like you. your, it's your small community. It's, it's us small group against a world of evil. And so then she's got that sort of oppositional, you know, background. And so for her, it's even more to how do I connect to be part of a family and, and do that? And what does that look like when I've been, tr- when I was trained for that anybody outside of my group was evil and bad. And of course that's only reinforced here <laughs> by, by the actions of these kids. But I think, you know, the, the, film like i said the, the there's there's issues in the middle it starts really strong and it it ends really strong the middle it's the architecture of getting all the pieces in place and there's not anything that i can say is clunky um it's you know it's it's sure. i think part of it is the challenge of you've got to hide some things and so that that creates this well why are they doing this or why is this happening and i that part went a little bit too long where I, I didn't have enough to start piecing it together. But the the performances from Jaden Martell and, and Riley Keogh in this, I mean, those two carry this film. I mean, you know, Richard is there for a little bit. Um, Leah McHugh as, as Mia is, you know, is there um, and does, does contribute to that. But I mean, really most of the screen time is with Riley and, and, and Jaden. And for both of them, I mean, People know Jaden from It, uh, It, you know, Knives Knives Out. Out. Yes, exactly. So, I mean, this is one that uh, I think, unfortunately, is probably going to be overlooked by a lot of people, but a really solid performance from him. Riley Keogh, I remember seeing her in, like, Logan Lucky. Um, You know, and again, Mm -hmm. this is one where really impressed. I mean, there are so many little things. There's a lot of close-ups on her. One of the shots that will forever stand out in my mind is the right before 
Aiden confronts her with the photo and says, you know, what if we're dead? She has just come back from being out in the the woods and, you know, she's got a little frostbite on her nose and, and cheeks and all that. There's a close-up of her hand on her on her knee. She's wearing jeans and it's her, her hands and she's sort of like scratching at the denim and it's this the sense of like, you know, somebody that's been off their meds, the nervous anxiety and all of this. And it's the, it's, the, it's the sound of the scratching and just the tension in her hands tells me everything that I need to know about where Grace is at that point of just like, I try to go get help, but I can't, and I'm stuck here. And then Aiden comes in and unloads this whole "what if we're dead" thing, and I'm like, there are so many of those those moments in the performance where it's it's little things in the camera work that accent, accentuates them. Um, that there's a lot of really strong points, but for some reason, it it comes together as a film that I feel like it might be. You know, there's there's moments that'll stand out, but overall, it's it's a forgettable film. You know, that's that's what I I wish there was more to it, and I can't pinpoint what it could have done differently. Cause like I said, I, I love the, the sort of the, the theme that it's presenting. I love the performances. There's just something in the middle that it just the like act two lull of, we have to get through all this so that all the pieces are in place for the big reveal at the end. And I just wish there had been a, a way that that had been executed a little bit more strongly, but I can't tell what I can't say, Oh, if they had done this or that. And I, I don't know what it is, which, which frustrates me because I, I think this film deserves to be a, a slightly better film. And maybe it is the, the references to other films, like illusions to the shining, the thing, all right, of these things right. that it were putting, you know, some thoughts in my head about it, but it it does work. It's, you know, I enjoy it. Maybe I'll go to three and a half stars on this. I don't know. Well, yeah. you know something? I think that was exactly my issue the first time that I saw this movie was because I didn't know exactly what was going on. I didn't know, you know, am I supposed to be able to put these pieces together? Right. I don't know what's going on. That was exactly my problem. But here, talking to you, I'm convinced now that this film's biggest problem is its over subtlety okay yeah if that's, yes if that's a word yeah. and because there are so many things that i caught on second viewing yeah. that really amped up my appreciation for it and all of those things were really subtle mm -hmm. and it was just too subtle if they had let those things come out into the light a little bit more to give us, not give it away, but to give us just a little bit of a clue as to where things might be going, I think that it would have grabbed our attention more. It would have kept us holding on, kept our eyes glued mm -hmm. to the screen a little bit more. Not that this was boring or anything, but, and I think that it would have been a little more involving mm -hmm. well this might be a film that's that's better on a second watch i mean i i'm not going to make a direct comparison to it but i mean another film that did that for me was was the lobster which when i watched that my brother had already seen it we were watching together he's laughing out loud i'm like why is it what what are you laughing at this is disturbing and weird <laughs> then i watched it a second time with my wife and i'm laughing and she's looking at me like what because once you get through it, you know. And I think that's the same thing with this is if you know that it's not the supernatural, you know, horror thing, that's more of a psychological piece. And on a second viewing, seeing, as you said, all the pieces that are in play and understanding how they're contributing, you know, as they're part of this whole gaslighting plan, you sort of appreciate the, the, the masterwork that these kids put together. To, to do all of this and you can see those pieces like as I said knowing that okay that hot chocolate is most likely drugged and you know the, these these pieces yeah. um, I think go through it the first time 
give it its its room that it needs and then this you know give it you know a week or two and go back and rewatch it i think there's a deeper appreciation that you're because you're more oriented to everything rather than being in that mindset of like right. what am i supposed to be thinking what am i supposed to be feeling am i supposed to be understanding this um versus now i know what the plan is i have that sense i think on a rewatch this will be you know better appreciated by people okay for sure All right well um i've i covered everything i had in my notes right i don't know if there was anything else that, you know that stood out to you that you wanted to, to mention before we wrap it up one last thing uh at the beginning of the episode i said there wasn't anything memorable about this movie but i'm actually going to repent <laughs> repent okay <laughs> oh see what I there. <laughs> all right okay ray's repenting I'm the, I'm the worst dad <laughs> joker ever but uh there is one thing that does stick out to this movie that is memorable for me, and it is the use of the song Nearer My God to Thee. Mm. And okay. yeah. see, like that song, memorable to me because of Titanic. Oh, okay. I haven't seen okay. I haven't seen Titanic in twenty it's something this, years. So it's it's not fresh in my mind. Okay. Well, they don't sing the words, but they play the music okay. to that song as the ship goes okay. down. Okay. All right. And so that song, even though it's a church hymn, has always been associated to with Titanic for me. Okay. And now I'm watching this movie, and its usage in this movie, especially in the final scene, has really given it a brand new <laughs> meaning. Okay. So so it has so it's shifted from t- Titanic to to the Lodge for you because I that that's one of the challenges when you pick a a familiar hymn like that. I think sometimes it's it's easy to use that. It's like oh, it's got religious associations with people, so we can we can push that into the you know sort of religious uh, fanatic you know piece, and it becomes it becomes creepy or odd or unusual, or it, it can put us in a, a weird place, or it can it can be a familiar thing in an unusual context, which you know that that could work either for you or against you. But you're saying they the song's been reclaimed for the Lodge versus Titanic for you. Huh? It, it might okay. be. At the very least, I'm going to think, okay, where's the dead dad at the table whenever I watch Titanic? You know? Oh, he's in the lifeboat. <laughs> okay. Well, I want to thank everybody for joining us and listening in on our discussion of The Lodge. If anything we said here entertained, educated, or even enraged you, we'd like you to tell people about this podcast. Whatever your podcast listening platform is, please share, rate, or write a short review. It helps other podcast listeners find us. If you enjoy connecting with other film fans you can become a member of our community over on discord it's free and there's always an interesting dialogue or debate to jump into right now lots of discussions about tenant and whether that you know is has doomed movie theaters to never open again what's going on with releases when will we ever get to see wonder woman and black widow uh and just you know general you know tracking each other's reviews seeing what everybody else is is watching and, and getting some tips on some some overlooked movies that uh, you need to watch. I know Ray just, you know, wrote up a review of of Calvary, a film that I've owned digitally for many, many years, have never gotten around to. But based on his his review, it's one that I'll be putting on my watch list to watch soon. Woo. All right. Well, Ray, I had a great time talking with you about the lodge. Me too. Thanks so much for having. All me. right. Well, everybody, Hondo. Thank you.
I love the conversations that so many of our hosts have had on their shows. Steve and JJ on Trailer Rewind, Ray and Ocean on Silver Linings, even Tommy's short-lived No, No, Wait, Hear Me Out. And so many films they've discussed started out as a book, a play, or even a TV series. Well, now you can support our whole family of podcasts by using our new Originals page to buy the original source material used to inspire films covered on our shows. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these fantastic conversations. It's a wonderful way to support the show. Producing these podcasts week after week require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, try using our originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. It's your one-stop shop for Amazon and Apple links where you can buy the book, play, video game, movie, etc. upon which the movie is based. Original material for trailer rewind movies like If Beale Street Could Talk, The Goldfinch, Aniara, or The Two Faces of January. Or Silver Linings movies like Repo Men, which was based on the repossession Mambo. Plus, by using those links to buy books, Amazon and Apple show us a little bit of love, which allows you to support our family of shows with minimal effort. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals. It's a fantastic way to support the show and find a great book to read. That's right. Head over to thenextreel.com slash originals to find your next read and get started today. Get started today.